Let's read from God's word at this point. We're going to turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 14 to verse 18. Now if you have a Bible at home and you would like to turn up the passage, Malachi is the very last book of the Old Testament. So Malachi chapter 3 verse 14 to verse 18. You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper and even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between those who serve God and those who do not. Well, like I say, we're taking a short break from our series on Daniel this evening. We're going to look at this wonderful, encouraging passage from the book of Malachi. This passage was written a long time ago, and yet it's every bit as relevant today as it was back then. In many ways, the world hasn't changed. There's really two types of person in the world today. There are those who follow God, and there are those who don't. And very often those who follow God find themselves plagued by the comments that other people make. Sometimes the comments can be well-meaning. Maybe a family member who, who just doesn't get the gospel says, well, do you really have to be quite so serious about all this Bible stuff? Could you not just let your hair down a bit? Can you not see that you're putting yourself under so much pressure? Would it not be good to be a bit more balanced? Sometimes the reactions can be a lot more snide. Maybe the pupil at school who always rolls her eyes every time someone asks you what you did at the weekend. Sometimes it's not the comments that other people make that's the problem. It's the thoughts that go through our own heads. Am I actually wasting my time? Being a Christian means that I stick out like a sore thumb. It means that I get held to a higher standard. It means that I have to put up with all of those snarky comments, all of those rolled eyes, and what do I actually get in return? Is it actually worth it? This passage is written to encourage people like you. Because God tells us it absolutely, definitively is worth living the Christian life. Even if you are the only Christian in your class and you stick out like a sore thumb, it's worth it. Even if your family members think that you've lost the plot, it's worth it. Even if people around you think that you're an extremist, think that you're a fanatic, it's worth it. Even if you have to miss out on certain things because of your convictions, it's worth it. And in this passage, 
God gives us three encouragements to keep on going. Now, there are some encouragements that are designed to fire us up. I don't think that's the case here. These three encouragements are designed to warm our hearts. And as we set our affections upon our God, that will guard our hearts and that will enable us to keep on going. So we're going to see three encouragements this evening. The first encouragement we see is that God remembers his people. Now it's pretty obvious from the book of Malachi that the nation of Israel wasn't terribly different to the nation of Ireland today. The vast, vast majority of people thought that God was a bit of a joke. We see the the most common view in verse 14. You have said it is futile to serve God. Basically, the people are saying if you serve God, you have to walk around as if you're constantly at a funeral. You can't have any fun. You can't live for yourself. You can't live life. You have to separate yourself from everybody else. And then at the end of the day, you don't actually get anything out of it. It's a huge waste of time. And of course, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to keep on going. Hard to keep on going when your friends and your family all think along those lines. It's hard to keep on going whenever you watch TV. And every time there's a religious character, he's the butt of all of the jokes. It's hard to swim against the tide. And yet, as we see in verse 16, there were some people who were doing exactly that. It wasn't a big group, but these people were absolutely committed to following God. And so they gathered together. Probably gathered together in much the same way that we gather as a church on the Lord's Day. They met together, they studied the Bible, they praised God... They prayed together. I'm sure that there were almost certainly times that they did this and it felt like a complete and utter waste of time. And yet, here's the encouragement. Verse 16. The Lord listened and heard. I think that's a, a brilliant encouragement. How many times in the last seven or eight weeks have you picked up the phone And spoken to somebody who's cocooning. How many times have you tried to be an encouragement to someone who is lonely or scared? How many times have you sent a message to another Christian whom you know is struggling? And nobody else knows that you've done these things. You're certainly not getting any credit for them. And you're not looking for credit either. But nobody knows. Here's the encouragement. God listens. And even more than that, God remembers. Verse 16, a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. Over the last few months, I've had a bit of a problem with my phone. The problem is I keep on running out of storage. And, you know, it doesn't matter how many apps I delete. It doesn't take very long before I'm back at square one. But actually, the real problem's not the apps. The real problem is I've got a a one-year-old son. 
And every time Caleb does something, I want to try and get the perfect picture. If he's wearing a new t-shirt, I take a picture. If he's trying to walk, I take a picture. If he's trying a new food, or if he's playing with a new toy, or if he's pulling a funny face, my first instinct is to get out the camera. And I should say, by the way, since we have a newborn in the congregation, I should warn his parents, the same thing's going to happen to you. You're going to want to save all of these precious memories and your phone is not going to cope. And one day, hopefully, hopefully Ruth and I will tell and hundreds of photos we've taken of Caleb and we'll try to make a scrapbook. A book of memories. And it may well be that some of you have got books of memories. You've got pictures of your loved ones, pictures of your husband or your wife or your children or your parents. Well, God, God has a book of memories. He tells us that in this verse. He has a scrapbook. And in this book, according to verse 16, are the names of those who honour his name. Isn't that so encouraging? The vast, vast majority of Christians are completely unremarkable in the world's eyes. And yet, God remembers them. God remembers that older woman who is so committed to the church. And she sets such a wonderful example to the next generation. God remembers. He remembers that mighty man of prayer who achieves so much whenever he gets onto his knees. He remembers that couple who used to open their home up for hospitality and now that we're in lockdown, they're looking for other ways they can serve their neighbours. God remembers that suffering believer who believes in God's word and God's faithfulness rather than grumbling about what's going on. God remembers that mother who models Christ-likeness for her children. He remembers. Those things aren't spectacular. Those things are not going to make the news. They're not going to get the recognition they deserve. So many of those things are done in complete secrecy. But God remembers. And that's the first encouragement this evening. The second encouragement. God treasures his people. We have another lovely picture in verse 17. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. In fact, I like the way that one of the older translations puts it. It says, they shall be mine in the day when I make up my jewels. Which is a a lovely way of putting it. You often, as Christians, we are looked down on, aren't we? We are accused of being backward. We're accused of being narrow-minded or weak or anti-intellectual or stuck in the past. And yet God Almighty himself, he describes us as his treasured possession. I think that's an incredible thing. Just think, God created everything. God could literally choose anything in the entire universe to be his treasured possession. He could choose one of those spectacular uh, spectacular constellations of stars that you see in the night sky. 
He could choose the most beautiful natural wonder, the Grand Canyon. He could choose one of the glorious sinless angels. But he doesn't. He chooses us as his treasured possession. Ordinary, bog-standard Christians who fear his name. I think that's wonderfully encouraging. You may never get the respect or the recognition that you deserve. You may be taken for granted by your closest family members. But you have something that is infinitely better than any of that. You are God's treasured possession. You know, every so often at night, Ruth will be drifting off to sleep and she has a horrible thought. She remembers that she left her engagement ring sitting downstairs. And you, of course, being the the dutiful husband that I am, I volunteer to go downstairs and go and get this ring. But, But you ladies who have engagement rings, you understand, don't you, why it is so precious? You understand that it it doesn't actually matter that nothing is going to happen to it overnight. It is treasured. And if you have an engagement ring, and if that ring was to say somehow get damaged, you're you're not going to throw it out. You're not going to just put it into a drawer and forget all about it. Because it's precious. Well, surely, if you ladies take such good care of your engagement rings, surely God must take even more care of his treasured possession. Is God really going to throw us out and wash our hands? Or sorry, is God really going to throw us out and wash his hands when he sees our imperfections? Is God going to allow anything to happen to us that means we get snatched away? Of course he's not. We're his treasured possession. That should be something that warms all of our hearts. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are God's treasured possession. Third encouragement we see, God spares his people. Verse 17, I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. As precious as Ruth's engagement ring may be, and as lovely as it would be to have that scrapbook if we ever get it finished, if I was to wake up in the middle of the night, and if there was a fire, I wouldn't be looking for the jewellery box, I wouldn't be going to the bookcase, I'd be going straight to the cot. I would be doing my absolute best to get Kiel about and to keep him safe. That goes without saying, of course. A son is far more precious than jewels and far more precious than a book. And that means that in this verse, God is really ramping things up. God is saying here, you're more than just names in a book. You are worth more than jewels or gold. You are like sons. In fact, he goes further. We are like sons Who serve. You know, as much as we parents love our children, most of us probably don't have exactly the same bond that fathers and sons would have had whenever this passage was written. 
I think maybe the closest parallel would be a young boy who grows up on a farm. And you know, you can imagine him maybe before he's even walking, he gets to ride up in the tractor with his dad. Uh, whenever he's just a child, he, he goes down with his dad to round up the cows. Whenever he's a teenager, whenever it's three o'clock in the morning and the vet needs to be called, who is it? Who's there with the father? It's the son. They have this double bond. Not only is he a son, but he is a son who serves. And that's how God pictures us in this verse. I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. Just let that description sink in. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are like a son who serves. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for decades or for days. It doesn't matter if you have a long track record of faithfulness or if you're just starting out on the journey. God views you in the same way that a loving father views his beloved son. It's incredible. But how can this be? How can this be when we've got so much sin in our hearts? How can this be when we have wronged God in so many ways? How can we be sons? Well, Malachi is the very last book in the Old Testament. And that means, if you have it open in your Bible, the very next page is the start of the New Testament. It's the Gospel of Matthew. And the very first person mentioned in the book of Matthew is a son. A son who served. A son who followed every single instruction his father ever gave. A son who was 100% faithful 100% of the time. A son who was so committed to his father that he went all the way to the cross to die. A son who came into this earth so that he could bring us to his father as sons of the father. The one of whom Hebrews speaks and it says he is not ashamed to call us brothers. Us being brought into the family came at a massive cost. Because for us to be sons who serve, something had to be done about our sin. Jesus Christ, God's beloved son, he had to go to the cross. He had to bear that guilt on his own shoulders. He had to take that punishment in our place so that we could be made righteous in God's sight. And this loving father, the one who is well pleased in his son Jesus Christ, this loving father had to look at his own faithful, obedient son who always served And in order that you and I could be spared, he didn't spare his own son. Isn't that absolutely incredible? I mean, like I say, this is a really heartwarming passage. And I think the big takeaway from this passage is that we should marvel whenever we think about this incredible love that God has for us in Jesus Christ. We should be amazed. Our hearts should be warmed. 
and over the course of this coming week, we should worship God because of this. Maybe some of you watching, you're Christians, but you've grown cold. Your heart doesn't throb in love for this God in the way that it once did. Maybe the message of this passage is that you need to recommit yourself. You need to come to the God who treasures his people. You need to set your affections on him once again. You need to marvel. Maybe some of you this evening, you know this God, but you don't know him in the way that a father knows his son. Well, what better thing could you hear tonight than to know that if you take your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be welcomed with open arms into this wonderful, loving family. The big question in Malachi's day was this. Is following God actually worth it? It's the same question we face today. Well, God gives us this wonderful encouragement, doesn't he? He remembers his people. He treasures his people. He spares his people. Is following God worth it? The answer is absolutely and definitively yes.